around you. Becoming a software developer is a never-ending journey. Some developers started coding when they were kids. Some ended up studying computer sciences. Others came from very different backgrounds. Some taught themselves programming. Others went through apprenticeship programs. A few even jumped in via boot camps. One thing is sure though, no journey is void of bumps, forks and hard decisions. Every journey is unique and full of learning that are worth telling. So let's ask developers from all around the world how they got where they are today, how they learn and how they grow. Whether you are a junior dev starting your career and learning the ropes or maybe a senior developer pushing and guiding others around you, we have something for you. Welcome to the Software Developer's Journey Podcast. Hello and welcome to Developer's Journey the podcast shining a light on developers' life from all over the world. My name is Tim Bourguignon, and today I receive Simon Hara, Dr. Simon Hara, I would say. Simon is a senior consultant at the company InnoQ. In his daily business, he fights for simple solutions with domain-driven design, fitting architectures such as microservices, of course, but also monolith, and clean code in Java, Ruby, or even JavaScript. Most recently, he co-authored the book Java by Comparison that helps Java beginners to write cleaner code via before and after comparisons. Simon, welcome to Dev Journey. Hi, Tim. Yeah, glad to be here with you. It's a pleasure to receive you. So before we come to talking about your most recent work, maybe your book, or maybe I think you have different topics to talk to us about, that. Um, would you mind telling us your story, how your career started, maybe what the roadblocks and the bumps were, um, and what led you to finally be in this position of writing such a book? Yeah, sure. Um, it's really hard to, to think about when to begin a story. I, I first thought about maybe um, my first computer um, I, I worked with, or I played with as a yeah, very young child was an Amstrad, an Amstrad with no hard drive, just two floppy disk drives, one for the operating system, one for your application. And that's basically was my first contact with computers at, at all. And I played gorillas where you throw bananas at each other or played snake. That was, that was great. And somehow this, this playing game stuck. Um, I, I played a lot. During my school time, maybe you know Warcraft 3. That's a real-time strategy game. And kind of wasted. Well, not wasted. I really enjoyed uh, my, my long hours playing those games. And I didn't really program at all, or basically not at all, during during school time. So it's really uh, my, my life as a developer started actually with, with university. Um, and since then it, it, it went, it went quite, quite well. Um, I think the, the very first project I really, really developed was right before, 
um, starting at university. So I had this, in Germany, we have this, um, the, the school ends basically in, I think, July or, or June or July. And the semester starts in October. And so you have a few months in between. And I did a, a, like a summer job at, at Siemens. And they, they um, said, okay, here, we, you, we need a Microsoft Access database. And they, they asked me, can, can you do that? And I said, sure. And so after I got the contract, I signed the contract. I went and bought the books about Microsoft Access because I've never yeah, written anything with Microsoft Access and, and learned it on the fly and uh, always. Um, and, and so I started basically with imperative programming and a lot of go-to's, go-to error, really spaghetti code. <laughs> I see yeah, but it was shivers on my spine. Yeah, but it was really a great, great experience when you think about it. You said the very first project is spaghetti code and, um, but I was very close to the user. So, so it was really agile in that way. So I, I worked on something for one or few of one or two or three hours. And then I went to the stakeholder and showed him that. And they said, mm, yeah, that's good, but that should be better or that should be changed. And I changed it and went back. And so we had really, really fast feed feedback cycles and that's still despite the spaghetti code that was that was really fun and um, yeah. which which studies did you get into i mean um was it was it computer science or was it something else um no i started in in bamberg and there's basically mostly information systems there so no actual computer science we have applied computer science but no classical computer sciences And I think then, then I really, really got, got into um, teaching quite, quite quickly. Um, so in my third semester, I was asked to become a teaching assistant. And since then, I taught, I think, 11 courses till, my, till I finished my degree as a teaching assistant. That wow. was really, really interesting and yeah, ensured a nice, nice steady income <laughs> for my for my own hardware for my own computers at home uh, how so, did this happen i think i think it was um i really like teaching it so so really enjoyed doing that helping helping others and um yeah did, did you have a, an experience um in teaching before no it was uh, learning on the job so there were some some tough situations as well um, when you when you have students that uh, yeah want to mess with you uh, or ask you questions you don't know and or, or ask stupid questions or, but questions where they where they want to to see you struggle and so so I learned a lot and um, yeah really really enjoyed it and and when I after well, Shortly before I, I got my degree, I was asked by a professor there if I want to join as a like, PhD student. And so I, so I stayed at university and, um, yeah, did even more teaching later on. Mm -hmm. What, what so, was your, um, your PhD about? The, the PhD was more about business process management systems. Um, It was a very interesting 
part of my life. Uh, but I'm glad it's over now. <laughs> it's it was really really very <laughs> tough years. So it, it's not something I I really burn and and can can talk a lot about or want to talk a lot about. Um, I, I I lived much more for the teaching part um, while I was at a PhD student there because um, we had this this unique situation that a colleague of mine and myself we. we we were able to really build up two brand new courses at university. One about Java programming, like NIO um, testing, um, MVC and Java FX. And another about um, concurrency on the JVM, including mm -hmm. TCP connections, ACA framework, and the, the basic stuff like synchronized, Or, or semaphores and so on. And this was really great. So, so basically we had the, the playground for developing, developing two courses and well, I gave them six years. So, so I gave these, these two courses, six years. Mm -hmm. It was really a, a great what time. So, what, what attracted you so much um, to teaching? I think it's, um, The one on the one hand, it's uh, when you teach, you learn a lot more about the stuff than you than you thought you can ever know before. But mm -hmm. I really like to help people and um, bring them forward. I think there's this this uh, quote. Uh, it's going around a lot in on Twitter and and stuff today to say a 10x developer is someone who helps 10 other people um, become better. And I wouldn't say that I'm a 10x developer, but I really like this this idea of of helping others, and and that that's the really important thing um, we should we should do help help others. And there are a lot of beginners when, when you think about um, at university. A lot of people come there every semester, every year, and and want to learn to program, and they they don't know it yet. They they have to start learning it, yeah, from the ground up. Mm -hmm. Do you do you miss this time? Yeah, yeah, a little bit. Well, not a little bit. I really, I really miss it. I think um, I I have another like we 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 help each other out in our team, of course. And the style of learning changed a lot, but I really like this university style of learning as we did it because in our courses they are very they were very hands on focused. So basically we had uh, always had like a block where we presented a few slides and told them about a new technology or a new method or something, new concept, new framework. And then they uh, had to develop short exercise. And then we discussed this short exercise, made a basically a code review together in the course. Mm -hmm. And and the later on, they, they had to do a group work where they really tested out the framework or the concept or whatever we taught them in a two-week project in a group of three. So very hands-on style of teaching. And and those those uh, yeah group projects, those two-week group projects, they, they handed in and we, we graded them. We did a really thorough code review and gave them detailed feedback. Mm-hmm. That's that's very hands-on. That that's very actually uh, very close to what we do um, on a day-to-day -day basis in the industry. Um, 
how how are you influenced by by the uh, by the the best practices of the industry to uh, to craft this course? I think the the we, we at our um, well we were the distributed systems group and um, and a lot in our free time we worked on Chapref, which is an open source project for bibliography management, and that's a very I would say very old Java desktop application. And we tried to employ mm -hmm. a lot of good practices there, learned a lot and really, yeah, created a, a community um, or re revived that community basically on GitHub for that project. And so we, we had a lot of experience doing code review there and um, a lot of, of practice, practice too. But I think one of the main influences, obviously, uh, are books like Clean Code, Effective Java, or Factoring. So my colleague um, and, and myself, we really yeah, have read those books one or two or more times and really try to, to live up to those standards. Mm -hmm. have, you, have you talked to, um, to companies um, to see how they how this um, they see um, this curriculum that you built? Mm, not not really that that much. I know from some companies they they were very um, fond of that um, because a lot of their interview questions are based on the things we, that we taught. That was that was interesting to see. So. Um, We, they, they really said, okay, well, there's, there's these few questions. And if, um, uh, if the student can answer that, that's a very good indicator, very good proxy for, um, being a good developer later on. And, uh, mm -hmm. that was, that was interesting to, to learn about that. Yeah, when uh, thinking about my own experience, uh, what I learned at, uni at university is is um, miles away from what you describe. It's it's not at all um, things that I reused in my career afterward. I had I learned how to learn, but I didn't learn how to how to program back then. And what you're describing is is all the things I've been um, ranting about when I uh, think about students and say, well, they should be doing code reviews in class and, and they should study clean code in class. And so I, I'm amazed to hear all yeah. this. this. That is great. Uh, yeah, it was really a great, great time. And well, uh, fun, funny note, we, we were nominated six times for the best teaching award at our faculty. And in the last year, year we basically won it. So maybe that's cool. also a sign that, that students, because the students had a lot of saying in, in giving away those, those awards. And I think that's really their, their way of saying, yeah, this is the, we really learned a lot and, and it really helped us tremendously. <laughs> Congratulations. Um, so how did this, um, um, influence the, the jobs you chose afterwards? Um, quite a lot actually but it's the the, mo the most influence later for me was when when you work at uh, at the university or how how I worked at the university with my with my supervisor there with my boss it was very it's like freelancing so we had a very very high degree of freedom as long as uh, the like the lectures were on time and and we did our job well we didn't have much 
control. We just we just did what we wanted to do, and and because we were enthusiastic about it, um, I think we we did we did, we did quite good. And and I wanted to have that experience in a company later on, and I wanted to have this freedom, this this trust from my boss and me that I will do the right things. This, and I think InnoQ is is one of the companies that that really, um, yeah, tr trust you so so much um, that that you can do that. Now, for for instance, um, when when you started InnoQ, you get access to the Amazon account of the company. And if you need something, you just buy it and it's automatically paid for by the company credit card and it's just shipped to your home. So this is really how, how they trust you. And um, that's, that's how I want to work. And how did you um, discover that, you know, Q was the right fit for you? Was it the first try? What is the first company you entered? And, and it was right away a, a perfect match. No, I, I interviewed a, a few companies, but uh, I think InnoQ was under the top three. Um, and I, I learned about it basically during my PhD. So um, I, I met uh, another another uh, person who who worked at InnoQ already at the time, was but had still connections to the University of Stuttgart, and um, we we both, um, yeah. Uh, research on the same topic on bpm engines and so mm -hmm. yeah kind of so that's that's how i got to know about the company and then when you look at conferences you notice that name and yeah that's that's why why i i kept on hanging to that idea that might be a still it might be an interesting place to work and yeah it is it is really great mm -hmm. cool and you've been uh, within the queue for how long It's since April now, so it's not that long. Oh, it's not that so. long. Okay, <laughs> but you're not doing BPM engines anymore. No, thank God. I think that that chapter <laughs> I I closed and and for good. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you want to briefly say why? I think it's. I think um, there are, there are two two answers to that. When you do a PhD, you work like five six years on something and. At one point, you say, "Okay, I, I worked enough of my life on that. Um, that's that's enough. I want to move on." Mm -hmm. And the second answer is, I think that um, these workflow engines or process engines are mostly favoring a central style of application. So, um, and today we we often want to um, work in a more decentralized way. With uh, small applications, with small teams, lightweight applications, and all those things are are not a good fit for workflow engines. But still, when when I when I come and and look at at industry projects, we often want to have the central view on on the workflows or processes that that trickle through our system, where we can say, okay, this is the order process and. Where where are we now and for that customer? Where do we stand? So we basically reconstruct um, from from multiple small systems, uh, reconstruct that central view on uh, the central customer centric view on the on the yeah workflows or processes that that are inherent in our system. So there that's. 
that's I, that idea I still carry around with me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, thank thank you for the answer. Um, but since you're not doing any BPM engines anymore, what, what do you do at Inoq? Um, well, we we okay. How how do you say? Um, at the moment, I'm I'm working on a on a project with and two other Inoq colleagues, and we are working a lot with Kubernetes and um, building. Um, yeah, I would say. Spring Boot applications uh, that integrate uh, asynchronously through Kafka in an e-commerce setting. That's very, very interesting uh, project. I really, really like that. But that, that's the funny thing. Um, I, I still like technology, but I, what I um, recently came upon uh, how we, we should work together, how, how a team should work. And I recently stumbled about or stumbled on remote mob programming. So, so in that team I talked about, we're doing precisely that. We're doing remote mob programming since last August. So at this point of time in recording, it's about, uh, yeah, five to six months. And, um, I don't want to work in any other way anymore. And Could I want to learn more programming. About Okay, uh, more programming. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> more programming is when you is is a little bit uh, like pair programming, but nothing at all. So basically, you have um, three or more people working at the same problem at the same time on the same screen or computer, but with only one keyboard. And we're doing that remotely. So that means that only that we are not sitting together in one room and have one computer and one, one keyboard in front of us. So we're, we're each sitting at home uh, with our own computer, our own keyboard, our own screen. And um, we're still doing mob programming. And I, I think that's the perfect symbiosis for, or as a perfect solution to any problems we ever had with remote working. Mm -hmm. Let me see if I got this right. So there is, um, you're all sitting in front of your, of your computer, obviously, because you're remote. Um, but at any given time, there is only one person, um, typing stuff into the code base. Exactly. And all the others are, are helping. Oh, how, how do that works out? No, we, we have specific roles. So the one, um, who controls the, the keyboard is the typist. Only the typist is allowed to type. And mm -hmm. the rest of the mob are all the other ones. And they discuss um, what problem should be tackled, how it should be tackled, and give um, instructions to the typist. And the cool thing is the typist is actually a, like a very high-level um, human computer interface. So <laughs> if the typist is good, I can say the typist, please... Um, um, yeah, we need, we need a new field. Um, uh, we need, uh, need a field, um, in the database, uh, a new email field. We haven't, we haven't had an email field yet. And we need to, um, get that email field from the user. So the user has to input it. So we need a form. And that basically should be enough for a very good typist to just start typing and implementing that what we want. 
and the, the rest of the mob would watch and um, immediately do a code review or change directions if they see that something sounds or looks strange. And um, yeah, make course correct. And, and then we switch. So basically every 10 minutes, the typist changes. And another one from the rest of the mob becomes the typist and the previous typist joins the rest of the mob. Mm -hmm. Is this 10 minutes um, time frame uh, a guideline from whoever invented this? I think, um, was it Woody, Woody Zool, I think, invented um, mob programming? Um, yeah, Woody um, invented mob programming and they, I think they use a lot shorter um, term. I think seven minutes, he said, some, some presentation, I think. Um, we are doing remote remote mob programming, so we we kind of tried out different timings, and we ended up yeah with ten minutes. That was that worked out quite well for us. Mm -hmm. um, when when would you recommend um, somebody doing this? As I said, I don't want to work any other way anymore, so I, I recommend doing it always. But there's, the work for so everyone. there's really no no exception. So I, I I think every some people bring up arguments. Okay, say so maybe maybe not for simple stuff, and then we realize that in simple stuff we do a lot of copy and paste errors, and because we try to do shortcuts, and the shortcuts hurt us afterwards, and that's why we need a very thorough code review, and more programming or remote more programming gives that. Um. So I don't I don't know any real situation where I don't want to work that way. Okay. Um uh, how about um other people? Do you think everybody is 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 um fit to work in a mob, not necessarily a remote mob, but but in in a mob? Uh that's that's a very interesting question. Um I think When you can't work in a remote mob, it will be very hard to work in a team at all. So you have people that, that have a tough time working in a team together. And if you, if you can't work in together as a team, you, a remote mob or a mob programming won't work either. Um, that, that being said, uh, one, one, um, characteristic that's really, really important for, for mob programming, I think is, to have um, strong opinions loosely held. That means that you take positions, but if you um, realize that your positions aren't justified, you you compromise or you um, switch to to a better position. You you let you get you can be convinced by argument, and you don't just stick to your to your ideas and say I I always did that like that and I want to do that in the future i think that's crucial that's interesting that's very interesting strong opinions loosely held how much how much I of just, that is uh, is the re recipe for um for good teamwork actually i think mob programming is is teamwork at its best um because you work on everything together and you decide on everything together. So your decisions will always be very, very good. 
So group decisions are um, typically much better than decisions by a single individual. And, and when you think about programming, it's not, or developing, it's not about how fast you can type, how well you uh, mastered Emacs or Wim, but it's mostly about what not to write, what decisions you make, so what design choices you make, what trade-offs you um, discuss and, and decide on, on which side to lean on on a trade-off. And all those things that that pr pr um, benefit uh, tremendously and profoundly from a group decision and from the input a group can bring. Mm -hmm. It really sounds like a, like a litmus uh, test or, or the uh, canary the canary uh, in, a, in a coal mine. If if your team manages to uh, to adapt to uh, more programming, then it is indeed a team. And if they don't, then well, you have a problem in your team. That's in, that's very interesting. Uh, have you have people mm -hmm. um, um, complain or I'll tell you about um, introverts versus extroverts uh, in this context? Hmm. No, not yet. I'd, we only have. Ex I only have um, more programming experience in our team, and um, we we are kind of all tending more towards the extrovert side, but not extremely. So, um, so it's it's we don't have the the extremes in both sides in our team. So I can't really say a lot about that. But I think it's mm -hmm. an interesting one. Um, one, one idea, because I discussed it with a colleague once, um, introvert people may feel safe to say something in a remote mob because even the most extrovert person becomes the typist and the typist doesn't discuss. The typist just receives instructions from the rest of the mob. So this opens up the chance for introverts to participate in the discussion if if there's a very strong extrovert person that dominates uh, discussions too much. Mm -hmm. The typist basically yeah. uh, puts you in a humble position because instead of yeah, steering the ship, you, you, you're just the, 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 the seaman that, that, I don't know, has to, has to set the sails and get instructions from the helmsman. Mm -hmm. I, I see. I see. I've, I've had a bit of of uh, more programming, not not in a remote context, but more programming experience. Mm -hmm. And uh, one thing I struggled with were a few colleagues that um, kind of needed time, alone time, to process things. So, mm -hmm. in my mind, those were kind of introverts. Um, maybe it's not the right word. Uh, but I'm struggling to find the right way. Um, really, what they needed was was to to stop the flow at some point and just summarize what happened in their mind and and uh, hit the, the the pause button and just just try to get things sorted out in their mind. Ed. And my um, my feeling was that this mob programming was preventing this because the the flow was continuing and they couldn't just mm -hmm. hit the pause button and do something for them for a while and then come back um how we solve that was by saying well if you feel that you need this time at some point just step out of the mob for a while process things and then come back but i'm i'm not sure if this this is the right way to do it um 
Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's be interesting to to ask to the uh, the gurus of of mob programming. I think one one comment to that would be um, so what we our problem was that we didn't take any breaks at first. We just went mm-hmm. on because the flow felt so great. We went on and on and on and four hours straight, five hours straight, and um, that that was just too exhausting. After a few weeks of that, we were really. Yeah, you were really, really exhausted and you felt that physically. And so we uh, force uh, breaks and also to process that. Maybe, maybe that the focus on breaks could help, could help here as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's a great idea to enforce really uh, um, a schedule. Maybe do uh, do uh, two pomodoros, so twenty five minutes twice, and then break. Something like this. That's a, that's yeah, a nice idea. Yeah. At the moment, we are we are writing up um, a short info site about how we do remote mob programming and how others can can learn from our ideas and and, and strategies. So um, let's. I I will put the the link in the show notes, but um, it's it's not yet up. So maybe. A few months and a few months in, in the future we will we will have something to show you. Cool. Uh, I hope the podcast is for is forever and people can, <laughs> can come back to it uh, in, in ten years or, or fifty years and, and still learn something. And then it, yeah. by then it will be up, right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well it it should be it should be up in a few months. I'm I'm pretty sure about that. <laughs> cool. Uh, do you want to talk about your book? Oh yeah. Uh, we kind of Made a little bit of the detour through through InnoQ and and remote mob programming, yeah. Um, to mm-hmm. to kind of maybe close close the link about my my teaching experience and and well, crafting those two um, courses at university, we had uh, we did a lot of these code reviews of the of the code that students handed in in their two week projects. I think I think it was. Uh, really a lot of work i I don't recount the hours but uh, it was a lot of um, java code that that we went through and we always gave very detailed code reviews so we so we would um um, yeah create a create some 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 answers for them and it was basically always the same answers or similar answers popped up because well students made similar mistakes over and over again each new semester, new students would come and they make the same mistakes as the students one year before. And we had to write the same answers to, to their mistakes. And that's, that's how we came up with a format of saying, um, that's how you did it. And that's, that's bad because maybe use that code because that's better. And we, we describe why it's better. And this, this uh, this concept stuck somehow. So when you think about it, that's that's, that's basically the best code review you you can get when someone say, okay, you you did it that way. This this has a few flaws. I describe the flaws very detailed for you, and then say, so maybe do it that way and provide you a specific suggestion how to fix that, and say that's better because. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you agree? That's kind of what you. That's, that would be the perfect comment on a, on anything in your code review, wouldn't it? Definitely, definitely. And 
And we, we, and we gave them precisely that when you, you know, the, the, the students and, and we did that over and over again. And at some point we thought that might be interesting for like writing it up and really putting effort in very good explanations on why something is not so good, maybe not so readable and why something is now more readable. If you apply a few minor tweaks and Uh, that mm -hmm. basically was how the the book concept came came into being, and mm -hmm. then we 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 wrote up a short proposal, sent it to pragmatic programmers, and a few days later they say they said, "Yeah, sure, great, write that book," and we said, "Wow, wow that, that's that's fast," <laughs> <laughs> and then the one year's journey started. Yeah, and this is exactly how it feels. So the book is called Java by Comparison. And this is really a comparison work. So uh, what, what you describe is exactly how I felt uh, um, uh, reading through it. Um, really, here's a um, naive way of doing it. And here's why we think it's bad. And here would be a better way to do it. And here's why we think that would be better. And uh, here are the advantages. And here are the things that you maybe will never think about um, in the next five years. But at some point you will and and this is why it is important etc so it's really a comparison between two states and that makes it really um easier to grasp and easier to understand from from one state to the other so i really relate to what you what you just said um that is a, is a great approach we we sometimes think about it as like a mentor you know a mentor with infinite time because the best mentor would do precisely that but mentors have limited time in the book, well, it's paper is uh, patient, you would say, and uh, you can you can you can use that and um, yeah, help you help you get better. And actually, when you when you think about Java by comparison, the Java part isn't that important. Um, some some people even suggest that maybe we should call it clean code by comparison, because it's not about Java; it's about writing more readable code clean code but i think mm -hmm. um an even better title would be cleaner code by comparison because it's not absolute it's it's just getting a little bit better because absolutes yeah. are always impossible so so maybe cleaner code by comparison um, with java examples basically um, would be would be better nice idea well, that's for your next book Maybe, maybe, yeah. <laughs> How hard was it to uh, to uh, come up with, I think, 70 examples you had? Or, or maybe reduce the number of examples to 70? I don't know which uh, which way it goes. Uh, yeah, in between, we had 80 examples in the making. So, so uh, um, there, yeah, even uh, when you when you look uh, around on the internet, because um, um, book titles don't change, When they are published once, there are some, some pages that still say there are 80 examples in the book and not 70. <laughs> um, we, we reduced it to get finished. So basically what you always do in agile projects, you reduce scope because you don't want to sac sacrifice quality or time. And mm -hmm. that's what we did. We, we reduced it to 70 and we have still a backlog of a few items we could discuss, but it's always hard. You know, what, what should you talk about? And how can you make it live up to a certain standard? Um, mm -hmm. So we really did a lot of 
yeah, thinking about what is really valuable. What do we want to, yeah, a juniors, um, yeah, to 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 teach, and maybe maybe we we will write something about Java concurrency because we we rather skip that part in the book. I think only one item is about concurrency, one or two. Yeah, there you go. You have a second book uh, <laughs> coming, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, let's see. Let's see. Let's see what my let's wife see. and my child will, will say about that. I think they, they oh, like, no, a, the, like their time with me as well. <laughs> no, don't ask them. They're always ruining dreams. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but that was a nice segue. Um, speaking about, about, uh, junior or, or, um, junior programmers. Um, what, would you have liked to know when you started um, something that you didn't know? And now you would say, well, if I only I had known this. Um, the first way to learn is in a mob programming session. <laughs> and I would have liked to do more or would have liked to do more programming much more when I was younger, because I think that's really supercharged learn learning. I haven't seen any faster way. And if you do that for, I don't know, a year right after university, I think that would be a kickstart for every junior developer starting at a company. Mm -hmm. do, do you think you could, uh, you could teach this way? That's, that's interesting. I, I never considered that, um, Teaching is, is somewhat always focused around uh, individual um, scores, individual uh, examination in in Germany at university. That's mm -hmm. that's so in university university context. I think it's it's hard, but maybe worth a try. I think in, in industry industry could really profit from that model because they they can do what they want. They don't have to do this this hard examination. This is where I've used it most is when teams have um, some very um, scattered knowledge mm -hmm. and somehow need to, to spread know-how um, between the team members. Mm -hmm. This is where, in my opinion, uh, mob programming um, really has a, has, a, has a key learning element. Um, of course, in the quality of the work produced, etc. But but especially in this case, um, this has proven a very, very nice idea. But uh, I would be I would be interested to see how it works when you have a very very um, big um, knowledge difference. Um, meaning, if you had a, a team at the university with one TA so or uh, or a teacher and and students uh, mobbing all together, if this could work, or if the knowledge difference is so huge that the 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 teacher cannot be part of the mob and has to somehow influence the mob from outside, which kind of would be I don't know. That's something. I think it works because um, I think that would work when you think about that. Uh, the teaching assistant would actually be the expert that joins the mob for a short period of time and uh, can and the, the whole mob can draw the knowledge from that expert during that time. And then the mob can still resume their, their work And then at some point later on, the expert would join the mob again and they can then uh, get 
well, the next step, the next knowledge package, basically out of, of the, of the expert. I think that that would work. Yeah. Interesting. And because the expert never becomes the typist, the expert always stays in the rest of the mob and takes part in the discussion. And, and we try to use that as well um, in our project. Uh, so we, we had an expert for Helm, uh, tool for deploying something to Kubernetes. And this mm-hmm. were, that was really, really helpful. And you don't need a lot of time with them. One or two hours and we really had a, had a very good feeling what we should do with Helm. And well, we rejected Helm, but <laughs> during that time, we really uh, tried it out and uh, could evaluate whether we wanted to use or or not that's interesting if you still have contacts with the university um and re- send send some uh, some ideas over there i would be very interested to know how that goes <laughs> that, that sounds really interesting yeah i will try to i have some i know some people back there so yeah maybe maybe they, they will try it out let's see <laughs> Um, unfortunately, it's been already 45 minutes we've been speaking. Time is flying like crazy. Um, did we miss a topic you wanted to talk about? No, I think, uh, uh, well, we could talk on and on and on. I think uh, we kind of hit it off yes, here. So, <laughs> so um, no, I don't, I don't want to open another, uh, another box. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's fine. Um, is there something coming up on your plate in the next uh, in the next weeks that you want to uh, to plug here, make uh, some advertisement for it or something like this? Um, well, we try to uh, come up with this remote mob programming uh, microsite, and I think that would be that will be very interesting. And it's basically what what I what I want to to to, to see that that other people's other people pick up on remote mob programming, and I hope that 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 it will make their professional lives. Uh, much uh, as, as great as, as as mine feels today. Mm-hmm. And so, if people don't want to uh, to refresh the uh, the show notes page um, every few days, uh, where should they look um, uh, after after information from you to know that this um, this uh, um, this information or website is coming out? Um, just follow me on Twitter. I think that's that's the easiest uh, part, and then you. You won't miss it. I will make sure that of that. <laughs> okay. So I will add your Twitter um, handle in the show notes and then people can uh, can follow up there uh, from there on. Great. Cool, cool. Well, um, that was great. Thank you very much for coming on the show. Yeah, it was a pleasure. Thank you. And this has been another episode of Developer's Journey. We'll see each other in two weeks. Bye-bye. Dear listener, if you haven't subscribed yet, you can find this podcast on iTunes, Google Music, Stitcher, Spotify, and much more. Head over to www.devjourney.info to read the show notes, find all the links mentioned during the episode, and of course, links to the podcast on all those platforms. Don't miss the next Developer's Journey story by subscribing to the podcast with the app of your choice right now. And if you like what we do, please rate 
the podcast, write a comment on those platforms and promote the podcast on social media. This really helps fellow developers discover the podcast and those fantastic journeys. Thank you.